Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. In this edition, we're back discussing the greatest club competition in the world, the Copa Libertadores. There's plenty of drama to discuss as always, but first let me introduce the team for this week. Simon Edwards, how are you? Have you recovered from playing football at 7am this morning? Yeah, woke up bright and early, off to play some some football. Man, the difference between playing football at 7am, everyone is just walking speed, passing it around, just doing skills. Yeah, it was it was interesting. But you know, stretch my legs a little bit, and I'm and I'm feeling fresh and ready to to pod. Let's go. And Tom, it's a hat trick of South American football shows for you in the last week or so. So, how does it feel to have the match ball under your arm? <laughs> it feels great, you know. Um, I see that Austin, the reliable midfielder, has uh, he's been slacking off a little bit. Yeah, he's um, he's he's pretty much done an Edmundo, no? With uh, well, Edmundo prioritised the Rio Carnival over playing for Fiorentina, I think it was. Well, well, Austin's decided to commentate on a softball match over doing this podcast. Where's the commitment, eh? Exactly. I mean, just because Palmeiras have qualified, I don't think that's really an excuse. But yeah, everything's good with me. Um, was at uh, Villa Park to to see Villa get to the Championship playoff final. So that's been a, you know, it's been exciting football both both here in England and and also watching the Libertadores. So yeah, looking forward to crack on with the pod. Steve Bruce team and exciting football. There's there's words you don't hear too often, <laughs> especially when Tony Pulis <laughs> is involved as well. Oh yeah, very true. Even worse. Anyway, good luck for the final. Um, we we'll start this week's show. In Group 8, where Boca Juniors made it through after registering a 5-0 victory over Alianza Lima. Boca were only 45 minutes away from going out last week, Tom, but they've managed to turn it around, partly thanks to Palmeiras' 3-1 victory over Atletico Junior, which we'll come on to in a bit. So we'll start, we'll start with you, though, Tom, to talk about how Boca made it through in the end. Yeah, it was... You know, realistically, it was a game that was just like a walk in the park. I think we all knew that Boca were going to stuff the Peruvians pretty handsomely, and and they definitely held up their end of the bargain. Uh, there, there were goals from two from uh, Juan Chope Avila, one from Cardona, one from Fabra, and one from Tevez. Um, so it was, yeah, it was good to see them actually get into their stride and and, and play some decent football against, admit, admittedly, uh, quite a weak opponent. Obviously, it all depended on what Palmeiras did. Um, and as you said, we'll get onto that in a moment. But it, it, it was good. You know, there were some nice goals. Fabra's goal especially was quite nice. He just sort of left the d- defender for dead completely. Avila's first one was good, uh, was good as well. So sh- showed some good strength to hold off the defender and a, a surprisingly deft finish from someone we see as more of a target man. And and even Tevez finding some form of, uh, eventually with, with the goal. Sort of he arrived quite late Um bursting into the box from the edge of the area and, and probably lashed at home. So, yeah, it's it's not been a great group stage for, for Boca. Uh, I don't think anyone anticipated it being quite this difficult for them, even though we knew it was going to be, you know, certainly a tough group with, with Junior and, and Palmeiras challenging them. And and realistically, they've, they've kind of been quite poor for pretty much the whole of 2018 that they, they kind of had the domestic league locked up and and sorted at the halfway point and 
and they've kind of struggled to to get into their flow without uh, Benedetto, who was great before his injury. Tevez' return hasn't really helped in the same way that people expected. And they've kind of limped to the domestic title. And, and I think that lack of real competition for them has, has uh, seen them play some not great football for the most part. But yeah. They're, they're very happy that they're they're through and you know in the past we've seen we've seen some big Argentinian teams struggle in the group stages like San Lorenzo and River and then go on to win the thing so I don't think we can uh, we can rule rule out Boca for the for the title just yet a lot will obviously depend on who stays and who goes um, and yeah I think uh, another person to mention even though he didn't get on the score sheet was was Christian Pavon who got four assists which is very impressive and he's been absolutely sensational easily Boca's best player I'd, I'd say in certainly in the league and also in the Libertadores he's been right up there I think there was some stat that he only made 10 successful passes in the first half but three of them were assists so very very effective from him and uh, yeah good from the Colombians Fabra and Barrios uh, as well so yeah and, he, and actually before I forget um, there was also a return for Fernando uh, Gago coming off the bench so yeah, all in all, a very good night for Boca, and yeah, they're gonna live to fight another day. Um, do you think that they'll be able to keep hold of Pavon for the rest of this competition? I don't think so. I think there is some hope within within Boca that they can maybe sell him and and then keep him for six months, and he'll he'll go at the end of the year. But I certainly, if I was a European club, I'd be wanting him to come straight away because he's been absolutely brilliant where wow, one of the best players in the league and certainly one of the best players in Libertadores I think they could also lose Fabra uh, and Barrios I'm sure I think Simon's uh, probably better across that than I am but they're two players that could also leave and, and they're probably their three best players on form right now and even their centre-back Magajan's been linked to Ajax so it could be quite a different Boca side but the, the, the good thing about it is they're a big name. They've got quite a lot of money. They'd be able to bring in replacements. So, yeah, it might be the that might be the last we've seen of uh, Pavon in the competition. But he certainly left his mark. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens to Boca now. Kind of their situation kind of reminds me a little bit of how you know River and um, San Lorenzo a few years ago, in I think back to back years. You know, they, they were on the brink of going out of this competition and you know they both ended up winning it in their respective years so um, it, it wouldn't be a huge surprise if, if if Boca do that but it probably depends on just how many of those stars they can keep. Um, Simon I come across to you to talk about Junior you know they went to Sao Paulo to face Palmeiras knowing that if they won they'd make it through to the next round but despite quite a lot going in their favour from what I hear they couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was terrible. Um, well, first thing to say is Palmeiras had a heavily, heavily rotated side. Uh, Miguel Borja did start, and he's been playing well. Scored three in this game. So, again, positives for Colombia in that regard, if he goes to the World Cup. Dudu also played on the wing, and he was very important. Alejandro Guerra as well got a rare start for Palmeiras and played very, very well, the Venezuelan. He was uh, an important player for Nacional when they won the, league, the Libertadores in 2016. Often coming from the bench, but bringing a lot of drive and energy. And, and he did that against Junior. 
That said, this Palmeiras defence was notably rotated and, and it was clear that they weren't organised, they weren't used to playing together and there was a big opportunity there for Junior. But Junior completely destroyed any chances they would have had in this game, which was significant. I think on paper, you put look head-to-head, their team was probably stronger than Palmeiras on this night given the rotation uh, and there was no reason why they could have progressed. Palmeiras didn't have anything to play for. They weren't particularly bothered I think there were a few players looking to make an, um, a mark on the game. Uh, Guerra, in particular, looked enthusiastic and keen to make an impression. But, you know, this was a heavily rotated Palmeiras side with nothing to play for. And they beat Junior 3-1. And, it, and Junior's goal was very lucky. And they got a lucky penalty as well. Um, I think and a kind of a running theme of, of the podcast we were releasing this week is the massive ineptitude of Colombian managers. And I think this was another case. The, the junior were let down by poor decisions. They they played with Teofilo Gutierrez as the lone striker. And anyone who's seen Teofilo in the last year will realise that he's significantly slower, significantly less strong, uh, significantly less available as a target man than any other option. And the defenders were all stronger and quicker than he was. And he was never even there as a centre-forward. So it, it meant it was impossible for junior. They played with basically four attacking midfielders who never tracked back two midfielders who had to do everything and still had nobody in the final third. It was ridiculous. And again, they didn't even bring Jonathan Alves, who was the best striker in last year's competition. It was a big coup for them to sign him, and they didn't even put him on the bench. Uh, for an away game, they must win. I was begging for them to bring on Ruiz, which, as anyone who listens to this podcast will know, is is a strange one because I'm not a big fan of Ruiz. But at least he's a striker. It was ridiculous. It just feels like this is Teofilo and his mates playing as Teofilo wants to play because he's not a centre-forward. He plays off a striker. He can be effective. He can be good. He scored a goal in this game, albeit 10 yards offside. So, yeah, Jimmy Chado was probably Junior's best player. Alan Barrera was looking fairly decent, but it was only when those two connected that they had any kind of fluidity and attack. And it, it just they just didn't produce anything. Um, they got a penalty, again, which was two offsides and then a dive. So that was lucky, which they then missed. Um, Barrera, young, precocious talent, but lacking a bit of attitude and, and, and not really consistent, took the ball, demanded he took it, and then missed it. And then, you know, as the game progressed, Borja scored a hat-trick. Fair play. Fair play to Palmeiras. In the last 20 minutes, they looked very good. But Junior had a huge opportunity here against a team with nothing to play for, who allowed them the ball, allowed them to play, allowed them openings, and they couldn't finish them. Praz did well in goal. But uh, in the end, Vieira was the busier goalkeeper and he conceded three. So very, very disappointed for Junior. It was going to be tough, but this was a game they shouldn't have won and they lost it convincingly. Yeah, I think um, Fernando Prash as well, he was seen as a bit of a hero in Argentina for some of those saves he made. And I definitely agree from from what I saw of this game. Uh, Junior didn't really show that they should be in the next round. But at the same time, if they'd scored that penalty, like, which I think was right in between the uh, sort of first and second Palmeiras uh, goals, um, then who knows? It could have been two all, or maybe they would have um, would have gone on to win the game. So it's it shows just how tight this group was because 
albeit for some small little moments there, then we could have seen Junior sneaking their way through and, and Boca crashing out. So, yeah, it did seem like Junior bottled it to me. Um, and, well, from an Argentinian point of view, uh, glad to see Boca in the next round. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to Group 7, which saw one remarkable scoreline, Deportivo Lara of Venezuela, who had won their previous two home matches in, um, in, in what is quite a tricky group for them. Uh, but they crashed to a 7-2 home defeat to uh, Brazilian champions Corinthians. Um, I think it, you know Corinthians were heavily favoured to, to go through anyway, but, you know, that win has has secured their passage to the next round um, and given the goal difference is so strong now it looks like they're going to win the group as well but it, it, it does it does appear that after Independiente grabbed the 1-1 draw away to uh, Millionarios it looks like the Argentinians are now favourites to take the, the second spot in this group. I'll come to you first Simon to talk about the Millionarios game um, you know just they had chances to win this, and the fact they were one nil up, you know, it, it's it 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 must feel a little bit of a missed opportunity for them. But in the end, they they also could have lost it. So, but it does look like that this draw is gonna probably put them out of the competition. Yeah, it was it was definitely all or nothing. I mean, the last twenty minutes they had Karavid, the the big centre back, playing as a striker. So. I think that really shows that that was that was the chance for Mijanarios to keep themselves in contention in this game, and it's disappointing because throughout this tournament they've looked quite flat, not much happening, and in this game they've had a bit of energy and there was a bit about them. Salazar was very very impressive. Um, the 20 year old winger was beating every single time was beating the fullback there for Independiente. It was looking really really good. Lots of nice nutmegs and, and skills. He was. He brings them a lot more width, a lot more energy to the side. And it allows Del Valle to find a bit of space if people are more concerned with keeping Salazar quiet. Del Valle can then pop up and, and create problems. So I was impressed by Mijonadios for 70 minutes in this game. They looked good. They had two real good chances to score. Salazar missed the one-on-one um, on about 65, 70 minutes. And then uh, Del Valle had a volley which was deflected. The volley was deflected to, a, to an independent midfielder who launched a 30-yard nice pass. You know, it looked as if it was just a, a lumped clearance, but it was it was a well-measured pass, which Figueroa, who had a bit of a dodgy game in defence for Mijonarios, he's very athletic, very big. And I think the idea is that Cadavid is the, the calm, smart, experienced defender alongside him, and it allows him to take risks and try and win things. And, and he tried to win a, a long pass, threw himself at it, missed it, and it left Cadavid one-on-one with Gigliotti, uh, 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 the striker uh, and he finished it calmly cut inside and, and volleyed it in after Mijanadio was taking the lead 58 minutes 60 minutes Caravid from the penalty spot tucked it away nicely and everything was looking good they had those two chances they missed and then Independiente scored from then on Mijanadio threw everything at the game and, and Independiente probably created more chances in the final 15 minutes on the counter Farinos was very very impressive in goal, he's he's a really great shop stopper, but also he'll make a good save and then he's up on his feet and you know covering ten yards, diving to win it back again really quickly. And that's the kind of underrated skill for a goalkeeper. 
the reactions once he's made a save to then pick it up again before the striker has a chance to pounce on it. So it's disappointing because this was probably Michelinio's best performance and it looked as though they were going to comfortably get the job done and, and they threw it away at the end. So, yeah, disappointing for Michelinio because they finally looked half decent and they looked a bit more exciting, a bit more expansive and, and this is probably the end of them in the competition. Yeah, I was impressed with Mionarius as well. Um, and yeah, Farinias, who's obviously a favourite on this on this pod, was was pulling out some great saves. There was, I think, one from a Gigliotti diving header that really impressed me. Um, well, I, I wanted to ask though, what, what did you think of the the penalty decision? It it looked a bit harsh. Yeah, it was a, so it was a handball, and I don't think it was intention there. And also, but uh, something because I had a similar situation with AFC Envigado last week, and the referee said, "Hey, the rules have changed." And I, and I looked into it, and it does appear that the involuntariness of the the handball, so intention has been strongly downplayed in the new wording of the rule by FIFA. So basically, now if it hits your hand, in almost all instances, they do reference position of the hand as indication and so forth. But it does seem a lot stronger in terms of the FIFA directives in regards to whether the the hand is in whether there is in strong intention. So it does seem that FIFA are increasingly moving towards instructing referees to give anything that hits a hand. Um, it does seem to be there's more weight towards that. So. It was harsh. It wasn't intentional. It did strike his arm. Um, the commentators in in South America seemed to go, "Ah, oh, yeah, uh, handball." But for me, he didn't. He didn't mean it. <laughs> so it is a little bit lucky there for for Mijanodios. But uh, I do think they deserve the goal. But you know, they left themselves open to that to that counter. They should have been seeing the game out. They had two or three good chances, um, and they kind of got carried away. <laughs> Things were going so well. I think it got a bit carried away and, and didn't see out the result. And, yeah, they got punished at the end. Yeah, that that goal, like like you said, from Gigliotti was was a uh, yeah. I thought I thought the defence parted a bit, like the Red Sea, really there, the, straight down the middle, and and even though Cavid, it was a good turn from Gigliotti, but I think the defender was far too easily turned, and uh-huh. it, it was a good finish. And I think Independiente's uh, sort of issue has been lots of chances, but not really putting them away. So the fact that that one was quite quite well taken by Gigliotti um, will hopefully give them a bit more um, cause for cause for well I don't know for for positivity I guess because um, on paper they're they're a really good side and they play some nice football under Olan they obviously won the Sudamericana last year um, and I think they'll they'll be pretty confident of making it through now um, a home game against Lara and they've already got you know a couple of points on the other team so. Um, yeah, I think uh, Independiente will be quite happy with that draw, even if they were maybe a bit lucky to uh, to get out of there with the points. And also, their bus was attacked on the way back, so they're very happy to get out of there by the all, uh, all intents and purposes. Yeah, the Corinthians-Lara match was played at the same time, so I, I don't think any of us managed to see it live, unfortunately. It was it was um, it was quite the scoreline there, anyway, seven two. Um, Tom, I'll come to you to talk about this one, as I, as I know that you've that you've seen the highlights at least. Yeah, what happened? What happened for it to end up with nine <laughs> goals? That's something we haven't seen, I don't think, yet in the, in this year's Libertadores. It's quite a typical Libertadores scoreline, and I saw that was like thirteen minutes um, played at the end of the match, uh, injury time as well. Um, so it, it it did have a very Libertadores feel to it. Um, 
but yeah, not not necessarily in keeping with what we've seen in this year's competition. Definitely a very Libertadores match. Um, I think you know you've said that we ha- we haven't seen that much. I think this is uh, Corinthians are the first away side to score seven goals outside of their own country. I think La La U did it once before, but it was against another Chilean team. So yeah, a very strange result by even by Libertadores standards. Uh, there was a hat trick from Jadson. Uh, and then also Sid Clay and Romero got in on the action with, and then there was a injury time brace from Junior Dutra. Um, so yeah, it was. I mean, Lara have been quite a surprise package. I don't think any of us expected anything. I, I know that I was very uh, dismissive of them in the in the preview pod, but they've actually been probably one of the the nice surprise packages. Uh, it's a bit. They're not exactly out yet, but they will have to be independent. Independiente to to stand a chance and well i guess for for a while they, they were they were in the game uh, from what i saw but yeah corinthians putting on a an uncharacteristic goal fest display um and yeah that that uh stoppage that you mentioned i uh, was due to i think the the home fans threw something towards the referee a bottle or something like that um, but I think it, it might have even hit the crossbar and then and hit their own goalkeeper. So that's what all that um, all that injury time was at the end, where where obviously by that point, you know, Lara's heads had gone, and it was just easy pickings for uh, an organised Corinthian side who, who can who can hit nicely on the counter. One, one thing that will be interesting though is um, to see whether what happens with their manager Karile, because I've I've seen that he might be off to Saudi Arabia with um al hilal so i mean i don't i don't necessarily think they're proper contenders for the title um but they're certainly going to be always a tough team to break down okay we're gonna move on to group four now and um, a game I managed to catch, actually, which was Flamengo 2, Emelec 0. Emelec out of the competition with this result. Um, to give it a quick summary, really, they were massively overrun and outplayed for most of this match. I was actually pretty impressed with Flamengo. And and I have been by quite a few Brazilian sides this year, actually, um, which is unusual for me. Um, I'm usually pretty critical of them, but I, I think I think some of the Brazilian sides this year, Palmeiras, for example, as well, yeah, ha- have been some of the better sides to watch um, in this year's Libertadores. Um, so yeah, I found Flamengo pretty interesting to watch actually. Their, their side is kind of split into two clear parts. You've got kind of five, well, in this game anyway, you have kind of five flair attacking players, and then you've got five defensive-minded players, and and that gives them quite a nice balance. I thought um, I, I was frustrated with Diego in. In this match though so many times he had Vinicius Junior <laughs> wide open to pass to but was often too greedy and went on it or you went alone or you know he ended up passing the other way um and I think Vinicius got a bit fed up by but <laughs> towards the end of a match um with Diego um I saw them having a little bit of a an argument um but yeah I think uh I think this was a fully deserved win for Flamengo, which was played in front of a really loud uh, American R crowd. Flamengo had many chances in this game, um, even before they went 1-0 up. 
Um, they finally made the breakthrough um, just after half time. A bit of pinball in the box, and and the ball broke to um, Everton Rubiro, and he smashed it home. It was a it was a it was a convincing finish. And yeah, Flamengo. There was times where they looked like they could be caught on on the counter. Um, this is a pretty attacking Flamengo side, but to me, it always looked like they'd probably have too much up uh, at the other end for for Emlek anyway. Flamengo managed to seal their triumph um, in 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 the last minute, and it, and again, it was it was Everton um, Everton Ribeiro who who got the goal, a, a lovely free kick. Right into the kind of the side of the net, um, and Esteban Drea, who had quite a good game in goal for Emlek, um, barely moved. So yeah, Flamengo they they had missed plenty of chances in this game, but yeah, they managed to find the two goals to um, to progress into the next round and, and fully deserved. And and I think they're going to be a team they're going to keep their eye on. This of course might be Vinicius Junius's last game. In the Copa Libertadores, um, well, in American R anyway, because I think there's still a game to go in this group. Um, yeah, it's uh, he he's set to join uh, Real Madrid uh, this European summer coming up. So um, whether they'll be able to keep him to the end of the year, I think uh, I, th- I think could affect their chances in this competition because the few times he was on the ball, I I, I thought that some of his passing was actually really intelligent and. Uh, and and kind of his teammates let him down a little bit with their with their first touch, but so it so again um, I'm interested to see how Vinicius Junior will do, maybe with better uh, players around him. As as the more I see of him, I be- I kind of become more convinced that I think he is a real deal actually. So so yeah, that's two good performances from him against Emelec at least in this group. And and I'd say that you know those two wins over Emelec ha- have got Flamengo through, and it's going to be between them and River Plate to win this group. Um, they go to River Plate um, next week, uh, and uh, and River Plate go into that game with a two point advantage. So you know they they just need the draw um, to to secure the group. So Emelec and Santa Fe both out. If uh, there's a small chance that Emelec could take the Copa Sudamericana spot off Santa Fe in the last in the last match round, but I would say that's fairly unlikely from from what I've seen of them this year. One of the big disappointments of this competition for me. Yeah, me too. I, th- I think uh, Emelec have been really disappointing, and certainly what you said about Vinicius. It's in that first game against Emelec. I think that was a really decisive moment in this group. Um, Emelec never looked the same kind of after that defeat and Flamengo have really kicked on. And like you said, they've been impressive. Like it's, I think the last few campaigns, they've, they've uh, not qualified from the group stage. So just even getting to the next round like shows a bit of a progression from them as a side. And I think it's 11 unbeaten at home now in the Libertadores. So the Maracanã is obviously a big, big part of why they're going to be ones to watch going forward uh, so yeah I think as a general point that, that there have been a, a lot of the big Brazilian and Argentinian sides making it through maybe not quite as many smaller sides the the likes of Emelec and, and teams like that not not getting through which is you often think that's a bit of a shame for the tournament but I think it's more testament to how good some of the Brazilian teams have, have 
finally been after not really making the most of their financial advantages over the years. Yeah, I was looking at that earlier too. That there's a, there's a lot of groups this year where the one the where the one two looks to be a Brazilian team and an Argentinian team. Yeah, like you say, I I do agree that that is potentially a shame for the competition. But there are a couple of groups where where that where that isn't happening. Um, but yeah, it looks like we're going to see more Brazilian and Argentinian sides dominating the latter stages of this competition because unlike in previous years where you know early on you for example last year you could see that Barcelona or Ecuador they they were they were they looked a side that could really challenge for the latter stages of this competition and I'm struggling to think of one outside of Argentina and uh, and Brazil this year well yeah there's there's a couple of Paraguayans which I guess takes us quite nicely on to to group three in a sec but other than that yeah Atletico Nacional and you wouldn't really say they were a, a surprise package but yeah it's it's a shame that there's not you know the Independiente del Valle or someone like that you know I've kind, yeah, of, kind of miss story. those little minos. yeah yeah at the moment there doesn't appear to be sort of a story like that developing <laughs> so um yeah like you say let, let's move on to group three where that saw the Paraguayan side Libertad, who have quietly been possibly one of the more impressive uh, sides in this competition. Um, uh, nothing spectacular, um, not the most exciting of sides to watch, but they've gone about their business um, quietly, and yeah, they've won their group fairly comfortably as well. You know, three points clear of second place, uh, thirteen points. You know, four wins, draw, and a defeat. That's one of the best records in the competition, I think. And yeah. But, they grabbed a nil-nil draw against Atletico Tucumán, a result which suited both sides. No, Tom. Um, and <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but we've got to praise the Argentines here because you know they did great considering you know they had to play the, pretty much the last hour of the match. I think it was with ten men, um, and knowing that Peñarol were beating the strongest, so you know if if. Um, if Tucumán had conceded in this game and, and lost it, then Peñarol would have gone through it instead of it. Yeah, I mean, never write off Atletico Tucumán. I think we were, you know, we, we're talking about not having any underdog stories. And even though they're from Argentina, I think Atletico Tucumán could be that underdog yeah, story. I can, because I can this... remember saying, I think it was on maybe even just the second week in this competition when we did a pod. I, I do remember writing them off on a, on a pod, I think. <laughs> yeah, we, me I too. Think I said, I, we can safely, I think we said something like, we can safely say that Tucumán won't be troubling the, the knockout rounds of this competition. I said something <laughs> like that. Uh, but yeah, they've proved us spectacularly wrongly. Yeah, definitely. And um, just to give you a bit of context to them getting through to the next round, uh, this is the first time in their 115-year history that they've made it into this stage of the tournament I think well I think maybe last year was the first time they'd ever been in it so maybe not quite as impressive but just to show where they've come from and where they are now it is really impressive and and as you said um their goalkeeper Oso Sanchez was was sent off I think pretty fairly to be honest um and they had to bring on uh, a young 21 year old goalkeeper Pizzi Kanesha um, making his debut, so that was that was pretty impressive as well because Bataja and Lucchetti were were both injured. So yeah, this young kid coming on, making his debut in 
one of the most important matches of Atletico Tucumán's history, and I and I and I believe he was he was playing kind of like regional divisions up in up in the north of Argentina only, only a couple of years ago. So that that was a nice little story um, there. Uh, Libertad hit the post, and to be honest, I think Tucumán were quite fortunate that Libertad were happy with the draw, and it was it was very convenient. I mean, I'm not saying it was a a complete fix or anything but it was certainly yeah not played at the same intensity as maybe some of the other matches so um, I'm, I'm i'm quite pleased that both these sides are uh through they're you know they're not they're, neither of them are that special but they're they've both got character and they're two of the kind of smaller teams in the co- uh, in the latter stage of the competition now so yeah um definitely teams to get behind i think yeah, I think as well, um, given that the game was played uh, in Libertad and, and they were already through, I think having probably possibly more Tucumán fans there than Libertad fans maybe as well contributed to the acceptance of the result. I think maybe uh, if it was at La Bombanera and it was Boca Juniors, they may have felt they felt obliged to, to win the game, whereas I think Libertad, uh, the, the, whole, the whole atmosphere was kind of, dictated by the very loud fans Tucumán brought over for the game and I think maybe that kind of had some influence as well but it was a disappointingly flat affair and you could see the goalkeeper as well at times he was flapping I kind of felt bad for him yeah I immediately wanted him to do well because you could tell uh, you know there were people all the players were giving him an extra handshake and an extra pat on the back every time he did anything anything decent because you could tell he was a bit out of his depth but you know he did the job done he got the job done and uh, so did both of the teams and yeah I don't think any team was particularly interested in winning the game but they were both very happy to progress and from uh, Peñarol's point of view who well they beat the strongest and it's not the the best strongest side we've seen in a while but they got they got the win but again I was I was really disappointed with Peñarol as in terms of their entire campaign I I thought this was going to be quite a decent Peñarol side and that they would uh, the progress to the next round and you know it's it's not the hardest group i think they could have had reasonable expectations to win or at least come second from the group and i think that's now the sixth consecutive exit from the group stage for them which is which is pretty shocking really for for a really big historical team um the goals um, in that game were you know they, they were all right there was i think the first one was like a long punt upfield and and the strongest defender got very confused and Palacios was able to finish and the second one was an absolute stonewall penalty I don't know if either of you guys saw it but it was a terrible challenge um, and then Roger Rodriguez uh, dispatched it very nice um, and I think one thing really about, about Peñarol's campaign that I sort of noticed was they won all three of their home games but they lost all three of their away games and you really got to pick up at least a point somewhere along the line to to give yourself a chance of going through. So, yeah, not a good night for them and, and not a good night for the Bolivians either. Um, especially compared to last year, it's it's, it's been a, it's been a disappointing campaign from them as well. Though maybe you can't expect quite as much.
Right, okay, let's move on to Group 2, which saw Delphin record a 1-0 victory over Atletico Nacional. We'll come on to that in a minute. But I went to El, Mon- El Monumental here in Santiago um, on Tuesday night to see Colo Colo record a 2-0 victory over Bolivar. And, uh, and that result for the Chileans keeps their hopes alive of qualifying. Um, they looked to another team who looked pretty much dead and buried really after three matches. But with two wins in a row now, uh, they've given themselves great hope. Um, this was a deserved and comfortable win for the home side. They're, they're most assured 90 minutes so far in this competition this year for me, for Colo Colo. I, I, I felt they could have possibly added to their tally or they could have pushed to add to their tally more in, in the second half. Bolivar really didn't didn't offer much in the other direction. It was clear that they'd come for a point. Um, you know, they looked to waste time after about five minutes of a game. Classic Livers stories. Um, and uh, so once pl- once Plan A went out the window, um, when Esteban Paredes opened the scoring, um, you know, it didn't look to me like they had um, they had a p- Plan B. Colo Colo started this game on the front foot. Something they did away to. Delphine last week too, and um, and that's something we didn't see under the previous manager, Pablo Guari, um, in his three matches in this competition. Um, so, got to praise Hector Tapia there. He certainly got this Colo Colo side up for their Libertadores matches. Perhaps not in the. Uh, I, I still have my doubts um, about him tactically, and uh, and I fear. We may, we may see um, Colo Colo's weaknesses exposed um, away to Nacional next week. But yeah, but there were some good performances. Um, Valdivia was good for the hour before he limped off. You know, um, it didn't help him going off with regards to what I said earlier about Colo Colo failing to add to their tally to make this more comfortable. Um, Oscar Opazo, he once again, um, he impressed. You know, right footer that Tepia has been playing on the left. Um, he he was in our team of the week in the last match round, and and I think he could make it again this week. But yeah, I, you know, the the star of the show really was Esteban Paredes, a super goal poaching brace from from him. You know, typical sort of fox in the box play really, and uh, he got ahead of his marker for for the first goal to slide to slide it home into the roof of the net. And then, yeah, a few minutes later, he outmuscled a, a, a Bolivar defender um, to from from a fairly difficult angle to, to put it into the side of the net for 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 two nil. And uh, and yeah, the last hour of the game, kind of uh, last uh, second half, really kind of petered out a little bit. It, it seemed to me that Colo Colo didn't really want to risk too much, so it it, it leaves Colo Colo knowing that if they get a draw away to Atletico Nacional next week. They'll probably go through unless Bolivar thrash Delphin or Delphin win in La Paz. Uh, both of those results, you would say, are fairly unlikely from what we've seen so far in this competition, but but you never know. For one way they can guarantee their qualification is by winning in Medellin in the, in, uh, against Nacional. But I've, I've got a feeling that they probably won't um, do that. I don't, I don't think they're quite good enough to win to win away. I, I've got a feeling they could get a draw though, 
and and if they did that, they would go through. My gut feeling at, at the moment, though, is that is that they're probably still going out, unfortunately. Uh, but as we saw in the last round of World Cup qualifiers uh, uh, last year, we know the Colombians like a good match fixing for a draw, don't we, Simon? <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, no, I think I think Nacional. The, the issue with Nacional at the moment is just to skim quietly over that one. Uh, is that they have a bit of a fixture congestion, and it kind of looked like they were already through the Libertadores, and that isn't quite the case. And and, and a disappointing, very very flat away defeat against Delphine in Ecuador in you know in a in a stadium which was packed full of Nacional fans. Very very impressive. I think maybe the microphones were closer to the. National end, but you just had constant the songs over and over again, demanding that the the players put in some more eggs to the to the performance, um, which is a bit of a literal translation, but you might you might get the gist. Um, they weren't happy; they were singing a lot, but it was a very disappointing performance. The goal from Delfin came in the twentieth minute, out of kind of nowhere. Really, it was a bit of a flat game that Nacional were dominating possession, but not really creating much. And, and Luis Andres uh, Chicaisa. Uh, cut inside, skipped past a couple of tackles, and and slid one in to the to the bottom corner from the edge of the box. You know, a nice finish. But uh, this Delphin team isn't very good, and they they won fairly comfortably against Nacional. Obviously, Nacional dominated possession. It was sixty three percent possession for the away side, but without the kind of spine, without the stalwarts in there, they were really lacking in terms of build up play, and that went all the way across the team. Um, they didn't have Alexis Mendoza in defence, kind of playing the ball out, an important figure. He, he travelled with the team but wasn't picked. Again, they have a, a quarter-final in the championship coming up against Cali. They lost the first leg. They need to win the next leg. So they, there is that concern. But they started with Borja Negra and Bajier, who did adequately defensively, but you can under, underestimate the, the importance of a defender who passes it out. And without Alexis Enriquez, they didn't have that in defence. Zuniga was awful, uh, got substituted at half-time, hasn't made the impact Nacional were hoping. The experienced international hasn't done very well yet so far. In midfield, they had Castellani, Loaiza and Ramirez. Aldo Ramirez looked decent, but the other two really lacked the composure of Camposano, a young player who's kind of broken through and looks very composed and really manages everyone else in midfield and really is the 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 base of that midfield so without him they, they kind of didn't really pass the ball that well and then in the final third they had three forwards who never passed to each other skillful individual players but who made poor decisions didn't offer there was so little movement uh torres looks very poor luca me had some good moments a good skillful individual player you know popped a few nutmegs and beat his man over and over again but has no final product and there was no movement anyway, even if he did. And then Rentaria, who looks like a player who you look at him and you think, I bet he's brilliant last week and next week. And he's just probably a bad game, but you can't have a bad game every game. You know, he can be quick and skillful and, and, and look dangerous, but if he doesn't put things together and provide a threat or make those runs, then, you know, that doesn't really count for much. So a very disappointing performance. You can put it down to rotation, um, Hernandez came on Lenis came on um, improved things somewhat but they couldn't get the goal and without Dairo Moreno without Magnelli Torres they lacked a bit of composure and a bit of quality in the final third so again I think 
it gives them reason to take this final game seriously, but maybe that's not what they want. They, they've got a championship to win in Colombia, um, and p- qualification is still somewhat in doubt. They're in pole position. They've got everything in favour. They've got a final game at home. They should get the job done, uh, at least for the draw. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it does expose the, the weaknesses of what is a promising national side. I think their win percentage at home is around 90%, and their win percentage away is around 40%. So while we praised Nacional's resolve for getting that win away in Colo Colo, they've then since lost two away games against inferior opposition. So definitely things to work on for what is a promising Nacional side. Okay, and to just wrap up quickly, um, Group 1, that saw Gremio beat Monegas 2-1 away, and uh, and Sarah Bordeño grabbed uh, another last-minute winner against Defensor Sporting, and again, it was Diego Turin who got that last-minute winner. They did the same to Sporting at home as well, and uh, and that result put, put the Paraguayans through ahead of the Uruguayans. And uh, and it looks like we've got our one-two in Group One, though, Tom. Yep, definitely looks like Gremio are gonna. They, who knows? They might even end up defending their title because they're looking pretty good in admittedly quite a poor group. Um, it was a uh, quite a, quite an exciting finale in their game with they were, you know they were ahead from quite a deflected long-range effort from Ramiro, uh, really poor from the keeper. I mean, we're not expecting too much from Monagas because they're probably one of the worst teams in the competition, but still poor from him. Uh, and then. They looked like they'd snatched a draw with Kahneman scoring an own goal in injury time, but then Gremio went right up the other end and um, got a penalty. Uh, and Gileson um, got it, so it gave me a chance to use my favourite pun of uh, getting them out of jail, son. <laughs> um, and, but yeah, I, I think it's really good mentality from Gremio to show that they can go up the other end and score in a game that didn't even really mean anything. Um, as for the Paraguayans, again, these are the... The slightly smaller teams um, that we're, you know, who are not from the traditional nations, and and they showed that they're going to be hard to beat, and uh, organised, and yeah, no one's really going to fancy facing them, especially, especially um, they're in in Paraguay. I mean, apart from that really big hammering they got from Gremio, they've been very very good so yeah I think the two best teams in the group qualified and that's about that really. Okay, and I'll come straight back to you, Tom, just to get your plugs in. Um, where can people find you on Twitter? So people can find me at TomRobbo89. Um, lots of stuff going up at the moment. Obviously, we've had some really interesting pods go up, which I definitely urge everyone to check out. Um, the latest scouting spotlight pod of Georgian de Arescaeta has just gone up. Um, so that's a player that everyone should check out at the World Cup. And... Yeah, just keep it posted on my Twitter. There'll be there'll be a couple more scouting spotlights and a couple more articles and other bits. So yeah, keep it posted to there. And Simon, yeah, on Twitter at Simon Edwards SAA. Um, yeah, we did a good podcast, I think, which should be dropping very soon about uh, managers in South America, which was very very interesting for me. Made me reflect and realise, wow, Colombian managers are terrible. We need some, you know. And then looking at some of the difference in Uruguayans and Argentines and Brazilians and Colombians and why there is such a big difference in in culture and how that impacts on the manager. So I think that's a really interesting discussion. Check that out. Plus, I'm doing other bits and pieces all over the place for World Cup previews and whatnot. So I'll be on my Twitter as well, Adam. 
Yeah, you can find me at Adam Brandon eighty four. I echo the sentiments of uh, Simon and Tom about which pods you should check out. Um, I'm also doing the, my ninety minutes uh, countdown to the World Cup. Um, keep checking that out, please, um, on the website and, and uh, via Twitter. It's just left to say huge thanks to everybody who chooses to listen to this podcast. Your support is much appreciated. If you could rate and review us on iTunes, that would be great. And um, it's also left for me to say a big thanks to Simon and, and Tom for joining me. And it's goodbye. <laughs>